Welcome to More to Come, a PW Comics World's bi-weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor at Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. I'm Heidi McDonald, also the co-editor of PW Comics World, the graphic novel review editor for Publishers Weekly, and the editor of the beat, www.comicsbeat.com. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons, I'm their podcast producer, and I write for both The Beat and Comics World. This week on PW Comics World, a bombing in France of a satirical magazine. Susie Cagle, um, cartoonist, uh, arrested at Occupy Oakland. A change in the copyright law in Japan may affect Dujinshi makers. Uh, the, the diamond numbers for October. For October. Um, in our digital news, uh, Marvel Day and Date, a new Nook tablet, and a very odd 1010 uh, app. Um, later on, Platinum Studios uh, and a blog, Romana Clef. Uh, and book, a Buck for Jack campaign and uh, forthcoming graphic novels. But let's start it off with a look at a uh, really actually a very serious issue, uh, the bombing of a, a French satirical magazine. Um, allegedly, actually, I don't think have, have, have there been any arrests. No, uh, um, not yet, no. About an issue. Um, the magazine was uh, Charlie Hebdo, and it was an issue, uh, a satirical issue about Islamic radicals that featured a, a caricature of Mohammed on the, the cover, uh, pretty much a bullseye in today's um, uh, really... Uh, Heated climate, and uh, this was uh, there edited by Muhammad issue as a ch- ch- Sharia law uh, issue or yeah. ch- Sharia Hebdo was the subtitle. What really was amazing about this story was it was announced on Wednesday morning that they were going to do this issue, and Wednesday night their offices were firebombed. So I mean, it wasn't even like uh, you know you didn't even have time to say, oh, I don't think that's going to work out, and uh, you know their offices were completely gutted by the bomb. Well, it, it was a combination of either courageousness or, or rec- recklessness, depending on your point of view. I think the uh, one of the, the taglines on the issue was uh, "100 la- lashes if you don't die uh, from laughing." Um, I mean, this is uh, the climate that we find ourselves in now. Uh, it's this obviously uh, is reminiscent of the Dutch newspaper, uh, where this conflict over representation of Mo- of Mohammed uh, in satirical magazines, I guess, sort of started several years ago. Uh, they in certainly are courageous, uh, looking at it from a Western point of view. Um, I would imagine that, uh, or as I read, uh, um, many um, uh, Muslims in France uh, denounced it, although they were qualified and a little worried about that kind of flouting of the Islamic tradition. Well, I mean, there's something to be said for, you know, saying someone saying that they don't like it, but not doing anything of that ilk. I mean, it doesn't. The fact that some people find it offensive doesn't really make it a legitimate target for being bombed, which is not oddly enough is not what the whole press as a whole is saying. I mean, there are a lot of of editorials saying basically they had it coming, they deserved it, um, from people in the Western world just saying, you know, well, what do you expect? Clearly, you're going to get bombed when you do this, so you deserved it. Well, what's interesting is that uh, Hebdo has kind of a history of being sued. They were sued earlier uh, over running the infamous Muhammad cartoons, which uh, kind of kicked off an entire wave of uh, violence in the Islamic world uh, four years ago. And they were sued by uh, some uh, Muslim uh, interests at that point over the showing the cartoons, but they've actually been sued multiple times before that 
over uh, by Christians over what they saw as satirical uh, portrayals of the Christian religion. So, I mean, Hebdo is certainly no stranger to controversy, um, but, you know, I, I think a firebomb is absolutely unquestionably taking it a little too far. No, there, yeah, there's no justification for it. But as you said, they, they, they have a long uh, history uh, of satirically insulting uh, pretty much everyone. Well, I mean, they um, are a political cartoon yeah. magazine. Well, and, I mean, and that's course, what they do. Any, any serious, yeah, yeah, if, if you can, uh, if that sort of odd combination works, any serious satirical, mag, uh, satirical magazine uh, is probably an equal opportunity offender. Exactly. Well, you know, continuing the whole uh, comics and po politics view this week, um, uh, there was another kind of uh, the diametrically opposed uh, incident in Oakland this week when cartoonist Susie Cagle was uh, arrested during an Occupy Oakland movement. Now, she was not there as a protester. She was actually there as a press person covering the protests, and she's covering them for a uh, website. She's done quite a few political uh, or reporting, reportorial cartoons in the past, comics in the past. And uh, according to Cagle, she was wearing her press pass very visibly, and uh, even the uh, police men who arrested her saw it and, you know, knew that she was covering it and was not a, quote, protester, unquote, and uh, even knew who she was and still arrested her. She spent the night in jail. Um, she was charged with a misdemeanor, as were a hundred other people who were arrested that night. So, I mean, what's going on at Occupy Oakland? I mean, boy, talk about Rashomon. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, as John Stewart had the best coverage of it, uh, we're showing, yeah. you know, peaceful protests of uh, various occupied movements around the, uh, the world and then showed Oakland with firebombs mm -hmm. and tear gas. So, you know, it's pretty crazy how it's developed in Oakland. Um, well, there's a certain paranoia, uh, paranoia being uh, uh, developed out of the movement there, uh, in, including, I believe, Michael Moore uh, making the claim that, you know, any kind of pr provocative action and violence uh, could well be an undercover agent. I mean, we, I think we've reached a point where, in, in some of these uh, movements in some of these cities, where people are really looking at the police uh, as being agent provocateurs. Uh, yeah. As as these movements start to tax the abilities of the municipalities to monitor them, uh, the fact that this movement has lasted so long uh, in New York and elsewhere is really putting some cities under under financial strain, and you have to wonder whether the cops are what, what the cops are up to. Yeah, and oh. and you wonder how it's going to go once the weather gets really cold. I mean, well, the cops are hoping that yeah. everyone just goes away. Well, they don't have that problem in <laughs> Oakland. Yes, so, that's uh, right. you know, no, they don't. I mean, uh, that could go on forever as far as the weather goes. But you know, I I think it's really uh, as far as the Kegel incident goes, uh, interesting, maybe a chilling effect there. I mean, uh, you know, reporters are not supposed to be arrested as protesters, yes. and they're not supposed yeah. to be charged with a crime. Um, I'm sure there's two sides to this story, but I, I will say, you know, uh, Susie and I have had uh, several, uh, you know. Um, correspondences over the years and she's really very serious about her work and um, you know she will not take no for an answer let me tell, tell you that and she's already she was already tear gassed at uh, another protest and she's uh, pledged to keep reporting on it and to, to keep going there and working on her comics about it so you know uh, she's a real trooper uh, she's uh, you know one of the tough ones moving on to uh, Japan and the change in the copyright law and its effect on Duzhenski Kate Okay, so as probably most of our listeners know, there is a booming market in Japan for Jujinshi, which is basically fan comics. And each individual fan comic really won't sell that many copies, but there are so many being produced 
that there are just huge, huge conventions that are just nothing but Jujinshi. It's a very big part of the comic industry over there and how mangaka get their start. And it's also, you know, uh, fans doing copyrighted material. They're right, they're, they're, they're fan mm -hmm. comics. They're, right. you know, if fans... Of the equivalent if somebody was doing their own Batman comic. Yes. Yeah. And it was clearly marked as not an official comic, but they were just doing it anyway. Yeah. That kind of thing. But now the copyright laws in Japan may change as part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement. The idea would be that Japan and the United States and several other signatories would all make their copyright laws similar and basically equivalent to whoever had the most stringent copyright laws of the group, which is usually the United States, and would also uh, extend the copyright terms on Japanese books to the, like, 73 years to infinity we've currently got going in the United States. So it's got um, fan creators very much on the run and worried in Japan, not to mention um, prominent mangaka who got their start. Yes. What's has it, but that has the law been passed? The law has not been passed. Um, well, it's an agreement which would then change the laws. Yeah. The agreement has not gone through yet. Um, Ken Akamatsu, creator of Negima and Love Hina, is one of the mangaka who's bringing this to the forefront of discussion because here, oh, there's going to be a copyright agreement. You don't necessarily think where it's going to affect manga. Basically, it's still in the works, and it may or may not go through, but people in Japan are very worried. Japanese copyright laws have uh, traditionally um, sort of um, uh, it allowed uh, some slack in its uh, in enforcement, and it's and, and over over many years it's allowed Jushinshin to sort of flourish, and it's become a very important um, uh, avenue for young cartoonists in Japan to move into the mainstream. Um, artists like Ken Akamatsu, uh, Miko Takahashi have also originally started as Jushinshi art artists. Yeah, Clamp so, was a huge Jushinshi exactly, artist. Exactly, exactly. And, and so Akamatsu is one of a, a number of manga, manga kad who are basically trying to organize a population to understand what this will mean and what this could possibly mean and, to the history of Japanese okay, comics. It, apparently, if it is passed, uh, I mean, it also has to do with enforcement. I, I mean, there, as you say, there isn't that much... Uh, outcry against doujinshi in Japan, uh, in the manga industry. So it kind of depends on, I mean, it could certainly be used against doujinshi, but it would still have to be enforced. So I think that's awesome. Well, part of I the think question. one of the problems with the law is that it actually would allow Japanese policemen to uh, actually enforce it and to take action against violators without a complaint being filed, which I believe is a how the situation is set up now. The Japanese uh, copyright laws are so different from American laws, it's, it's it's, it's just a very different landscape. And Dushinsky is really seen not only as a way to train uh, new manga cop, but also to kind of how, uh, uh, to encourage fans and to bring people into, into, into manga and to bring it into new publishing, uh, publishing ventures. So this is a, this is a, a fairly interesting and, and serious uh, you know, challenge to um, how manga well, poli It's funny to see the police uh, all over the world have different... Uh, jobs, you know, in, in France they're stopping a firebomb, in Oakland they're arresting protesters, and in Japan they're clamping down on uh, kids making fanzines in their basement. So you know, <laughs> it's a wacky world. <laughs> All right. All right, moving uh, on. Uh, okay, yeah, the uh, the Diamond uh, released their October figures uh, today. Uh, we're not going to bore listeners of podcasts by reading lots of numbers that you can't follow. Uh, the the main takeaway was that uh, DC ruled uh, everybody. Uh, and they had 50% of the market share in units, which is uh, pretty huge. Uh, they had uh, Marvel had only 
30%. So that's a 20% uh, percent sh uh, lead over Marvel, which is the, the biggest lead they've had probably in 10 years. And the, DC has led before. Um, uh, but it, with these numbers, even though it shows DC... Although these numbers show that DC's New 52 strategy clearly worked, it isn't clear that it's really hurting anybody else. Uh, the overall shape of the market was a lot bigger. Um, sales were up hugely over October of uh, last year. They were up uh, even from September. And it looks like the year to date, which has been lagging a bit in light of this horrible economy, is actually might be better than 2010. So you have to give DC a big... Uh, pat on the back. Maybe they really did bring in new readers. Maybe. Uh, yeah. They did. They did bring in new readers. They, they, these numbers really are showing that there's absolutely no question that they did. Um, one thing that is interesting about these numbers is that graphic novels are really lagging. And mm -hmm. uh, I haven't really been able to get to the bottom of this. Um, I, I think the biggest culprit that they've said is that last year there were Walking Dead and Scott Pilgrim trade paperbacks just flying off the shelves. Um, and uh, graphic novels are indeed down 30% from uh, October 2010. And they're down 12% uh, thus far this year. So they're down quite a bit. And Walking mm. Dead and Scott Pilgrim might be the reason. Another reason is that uh, a lot of books coming out are big expensive hardbacks. And mm. even though the dollars aren't that bad, uh, they're just not yes. selling as many units. Mm. So, yeah. And not only that, I mean, if there isn't a big property coming out with an obvious graphic novel tie-in for everybody whose grandma knows they like comics to buy for them, it's going to hurt sales. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, there weren't, uh, there were so many mm. comic book movies this year, and none of them really had mm -hmm. an impact. And most of them didn't really have a big book to really, really, really book easily associate easily tied with. in with it, no. Yeah, yeah not, not too many of those cowboys and aliens kind yeah. of graphic well, novels. Uh, which, but, which, um, yeah, mm. so... Yeah. Um, More on this right. later. Well, yeah. also on the digital tip, uh, well, well, I think we can refer back to DC this uh, as well. I think that the new 52 may have had some impact on this. Um, it, it, DC went day and date, uh, releasing uh, all of its uh, its print and digital editions of its comics uh, on the same day. While they weren't the first to do it, that move I think has certainly seems to have touched other publishers, uh, encouraged other publishers, emboldened other publishers. Marvel is uh, stepping up to the plate. Now, they have done some day and date in the past, but now they're moving to their entire line of comics that they're going to stagger out, as I understand it, um, beginning sometime, I guess, in early January, hoping to be finished by the end of March. So every title uh, will be, or most of their titles anyway. No, every least. title. That's no, every not, title. Their, not their uh, licensed books and not their yeah. uh, adult max line. Yeah. So as okay. of yet. Yeah, so... Um, uh, clearly, this is just this is a, a digital virus, so to speak, that's spreading throughout the business. As more and more publishers realize that uh, this is the way to go. Well, and not only that, as more and more um, retailers are realizing that going day and date has yeah. thus far not hurt them, exactly. yeah. and they've stopped they complaining fact, quite as much. And may in fact be sending some 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 uh, consumers into the stores um, through digital sampling. Right. Exactly. So. So more to come. Um, uh, on the, uh, also on the digital tip, on Monday, uh, Barnes & Noble will be releasing uh, a new Nook Color tablet, although this will be called the Nook tablet as opposed to the Nook Color. In your face, uh, Amazon uh, uh, Kindle Fire and um, uh, Kobo uh, Vox. Uh, we, we, we live in the time of the tablet. Uh, they are, <laughs> they're going to be releasing a new digital tablet and we can expect to see comics on it as the, uh, really, I think as the race to get more comics on the, the various, uh, tablets 
commences. Um, uh, I guess the first blow was struck by the Kindle Fire and its so-called exclusive deal, uh, which sort of had um, uh, unfortunate ramifications, perhaps, for DC uh, during the biggest time of the year as um, uh, uh, Barnes & Noble decided to pull all of the graphic novels out of the store uh, in out of its stores in protest against the exclusive deal. But um, uh, Barnes & Noble will probably be looking for its own deals uh, after the tablet comes out. It's a more powerful uh, computer uh, it, than the previous Nook Color, um, more RAM. Uh, it will sell for $249 uh, as opposed to $200 for the Kindle Fire and for the uh, And box. I have heard something that may make the Nook more competitive for comic publishers. Unlike the Kindle, which charges uh, per digital bandwidth that it takes to send a book, and so the creators of a comic which has you know, way, way larger file size than a textbook um, are finding the Kindle to be problematic in that way, mm -hmm. frequently. Um, the Nook has no such charges. Yeah, actually, I think that was touched on in uh, in Todd's story. Yes, they, yes. Uh, uploading know, files. Stories, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so um, that's a, actually a very good yeah, point. That's yeah. a very good point. So, so it may help them in the indie front. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and moving on in our digital report, um, this is probably the strangest part of it, uh, but <laughs> there was apparently um, a 1010 app uh, downloadable from uh, the App Store. Uh, the only problem with it was that it was full of pirated versions of 1010. Uh, it's the strangest app story I've heard in a long time. Yeah, it was. they were charging $4.99. It was supposed to have all the 1010 books ever on it, which I suppose should have alerted people that something was fishy. Mm. But, no, it was the all Tintin books ever in pirated version. Yeah, yeah so I guess the big question about that is how did Apple... Because uh, we've heard so many stories about Apple rejecting things because, you know, there was a, a pee-pee in one panel. Yeah, and, you know, here they go. Nipple. I mean, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> here they go approving an entire pirated... <laughs> it's really sort of amazing, but... Uh, we can only assume that it's been taken down now, but the, the fact that you can get up there at all is, is amusing and, and perplexing. Not to mention a little troubling. Like, yeah. it makes it you wonder what their priorities are. It is yeah. troubling. Yeah. Well, it is. And, well, and let this be a shout-out to whoever the copyright holder is. Uh, yeah, get well, a legal 1010 app. Yeah, I know. A little brown in the United States. Yeah, yeah I believe yeah. it's Hachette. Uh, you know, a 1010 app would be pretty cool. cool. Yeah, if you put it on there, people will yeah, download it. I'd buy it. Yeah, definitely. All right, get it together. Well, with the movie coming out in a couple months, uh, or in December. Now would be a good time. Now, actually, next month, yeah. So, uh, nice uh, thing about Tintin is the panels are uh, very regularly shaped and quite small. So you could probably even read them on a phone without any real problem. It would be great in guided view. So. Yeah. Um, well, moving on, we have, uh, you know, we were talking about Cowboys and Aliens uh, a little while ago, and, and uh, the... The maker of the Cowboys and Aliens graphic novel was, of course, Platinum Studios. And there is a former Platinum Studios employee named Dan Forsey who has a blog at uh, uh, it, it, that he is uh, posting romantic clef uh, adventures that took place at a fictional studio called Goldmine Studios that stars someone named Stan Darcy. And uh, instead of Scott Rosenberg, someone named Stan Goldberg. And, uh, you know, if you've been following the Platinum Studio story over the years, you know things are just a little bit odd there. But once you read these, you'll know just how odd. Uh, <laughs> their fictional counterpart is. Their fictional counterpart, the, uh, of the publisher of Platinum, apparently 
fictionally did not read the Cowboys and Aliens graphic novel that he was listed as an author on until he was on the set of the movie, fictionally. <laughs> because he felt it was too long, and he had warned the writers not to make it too long and to have too many panels because he thought that people wouldn't be able to read it, fictionally. <laughs> not that this yeah. ever happened. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, there's plenty of sorry stories associated with Platinum Studios, and so I guess we're, we're getting to hear a, a few more of them now. Well, but, uh, but now, <laughs> humorous format. Yes. Yeah. I, I think they are hilarious, hilarious stories. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the things that I mentioned when I wrote about this, though, is that the whole platinum model seems to have um, faded away quite a bit. I mean, yes. there's not quite as many. There's still radical studios out there, and uh, there's a few others. But this whole, like, let's create a movie company and sign up lots of mm. movie pro properties so we can option them. And tie up lots of, of content um, legally uh, in hopes of making a movie, um, as opposed to actually publishing comics. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, an unfortunate uh, strategy, and uh, hopefully we've seen the last of it. Yeah. At, uh, speaking of Cowboys and Aliens, uh, just as a footnote, uh, the head of Universal Studios, which released the movie, Rod Meyer, just was uh, giving a speech at a film festival yesterday, and he admitted that it was a crappy movie. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's like, why don't these movies make money? Well, it's because they're awful. Uh, they don't do it. Yeah. Like, Cowboys and Aliens, why did we make The Wolfman? I don't know why we didn't. Land of the Lost, what were we thinking? I, I mean, it's nice to see such brilliant hindsight on a studio head's... Uh, Funny uh, how it's always okay. 2020. Uh, I'm the weirdo <laughs> who liked Cowboys and Aliens, the movie, not the graphic novel. Dear God, no. Um, but I will say it was a stupid movie. It was fun. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, I have yet to see it. I, I didn't see it, you're but I love the trailer. You're not alone. A lot I of people the actually did enjoy it a lot. So, <laughs> it was know, a great trailer. Not, not yeah. unheard of. All right. Um, and Kate? Okay. There's been a lot of controversy over the fact that Jack Kirby's estate has been getting no royalties of any kind for various movies based on properties which he helped to create. And there have been a number of legal challenges on the subject as well. Now, online, Nat Gertler has started a program called A Buck for Jack. The idea being that if you have seen a movie based on something Jack Kirby helped create, instead of just sort of going, gee, I wish I could have given a dollar to Jack Kirby, you instead actually donate a dollar to currently to the Jack Kirby Museum, or if in future his family decides to give a donation address to the Jack Kirby estate itself. The idea being that you're showing, instead of just sort of arguing forever over whether or not he has a right to any more money, or whether by signing a check he gave up all rights, you just say, you know what, Jack, this was great. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's like a positive. You know, if, you don't yeah. want to, you know, if the whole notion, I mean, there's always talk of, of boycotting Boycotts this, of boycotting that. Protesting. You know, and you know, good luck on that. But, you know, this seems like a positive way to, yeah. to, to show uh, King Kirby uh, just how much um, he continues to be an influence in this, this medium and in the general culture at large. Yes, we are aware he's dead, but still. But we love him still. <laughs> the guy made me into the comics nut I am today. Yeah. It's all about the memories. Yes. Forthcoming books. I'm going to talk about this briefly, and then we'll talk about, we got a manga title that we think is interesting. Just very briefly, The Silence of Our Friends, The Civil Rights Struggle Was Never Black and White. Uh, a new graphic novel won't be out until January from 1st, 2nd. Uh, it's by uh, Mark Long. It's really about uh, his memories. Uh, Jim DeMonacos and with uh, drawings by Nate Powell. It's uh, the story of really two families, a, black, uh, a white family uh, that lives in a racist neighborhood in a black family, how they come together to um, 
to tell the truth about, uh, I believe that's five African-American students during the civil rights movement that are unjustly jailed for uh, uh, killing a cop. Uh, it's uh, beautifully illustrated, obviously a inspirational uh, topic, and, um, and you know another illustration of the uh, really the great work that comes out of, out of for a second. Okay, a new manga, well, new in English, coming out from Vertical that's been getting a lot of press is Drops of God, which is, okay, you've heard of cooking manga? This is a wine manga. And it's getting phenomenal reviews. And this book is, is very, very powerful in the wine market in Japan in that any wine mentioned in a positive manner in this graphic novel will immediately shoot up in price and be bought up by everyone reading it. And so it's come to America, it's been translated into English, it's been very heavily promoted, and uh, we have some thoughts on the subject. Yeah, well, you know, like a lot of, uh, like a lot of manga that takes on what you might not think of to be, uh, you know, a, a topic that a comic would deal with, uh, it does all of the, the, the great things a Japanese manga can do. Um, it shows great knowledge of its subject, and still manages to dramatize it, to really bring emotion and conflict uh, to, you know, what would ordinarily be sort of an academic academic subject. But I, in this particular case, um, at least for me, not really a wine drinker, uh, not that the book wouldn't appeal to a non-wine drinker, I found it a little bit too much about wine and, and, you, know, uh, and about, you know, labels and prices and obscure vineyards. You know, it got to be a bit much for me. Now, that's just my personal take. It is a quality manga. I will say, as someone who quite enjoyed the manga, that it was very clearly to me, for the wine enthusiast or the aspiring wine enthusiast, it was very, very uh, highly jargon-filled and technical. While it explained the jargon, if you really don't care about wine that much, this is not the graphic novel for you. First off, all I can say is, Calvin, how can you not be interested in wine? Oh yeah, my God. You, know, Andrew, you know, where's the beer manga? That's oh what I want to know. Don't I'm worry, sure Calvin, one is. is coming. Yeah. Um, you know, I do have a book that I wanted to talk about, and it's actually out uh, this week, which is uh, the collection Everything by Linda Berry. It's called Everything oh. Volume 1, yeah. and they're finally reprinting her early Ernie Poops comic, uh, oh. one of the seminal indie weekly comic strips, and, you know, the great characters of Marlis and her family and the adventures, yes, and, and it has great. bonus material with the new uh, new material by Barry that has kind of a bio biographical comic scrapbook collage by her. So, um, you know, that's out. And I, just having her work back in print in a beautiful drawn and quarterly editions is, is really a great thing. So, uh, Just very quickly, I'd just like to say the, the creators of Drops of God, uh, the authors uh, Tadashi Agi and Shu Okamoto. Well, you know, we want to thank you for listening to the podcast. And if you've made it this far, we have a special treat for you because we're doing a giveaway this week. We have here a copy of Legion of Superheroes, The Curse, the Deluxe Edition. Now, this is a beautiful $50 reprint of classic Legion stories by Paul Levitz and Keith Giffen, uh, originally in the Legion of Superheroes 297 to 313. These are classic stories from the 70s and 80s. So this And is you a, can get them absolutely free. Yeah, yes. I want it. Yes. <laughs> if... Here's how to win your copy. Uh, email us at pwcwgiveaway at gmail.com. That's pwcwgiveaway, G-I-V-E-A-W-A-Y, at gmail.com, and put the title of the book 
in the subject, and we will choose at random one lucky listener to get this. Make sure you put your name and address in the body of the email. You don't necessarily need to have the full title, but please say Legion of Superheroes. The code word is Legion. Okay. And I think and that I, wraps I, I us up. I guess that. That's yeah. it. But you know, there's always more to come. Uh, there's yes, there always is. more to come. So In about a week. All right. Well, That's two weeks. weeks. Or two weeks. See yes. You know, well, you know, yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> you know...